Well, if you would, please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2 as we continue our series in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2. You've probably heard that it said, sometimes the best defense is a good offense. I think Proverbs 2 is saying something like that. We live in a world where the truth of God's Word is challenged at every turn. Makes me think of my children. It makes me think of these graduates that are going out into the world. How will they be able to defend themselves against the onslaught of the world's assault? How will they defend themselves against relativism? How will they see through the lies that say that a person's personal choice is the highest good? That there are no governing norms regarding gender, sexuality, or marriage. You just do you. And the message that says, if you're really loving, you will affirm whatever personal choice someone makes. How will they be able to stand up when they are called haters for saying there is a right way to live that God has spelled out in His Word? How will they be able to defend themselves? Well, maybe defense isn't the first thing that we need to train our children in. And maybe defense is not the main thing that we need either as adults living in this world. Maybe the best defense is a good offense. And I'm not talking about forming a full frontal attack on the agenda of the world. Let me use a different metaphor to maybe help you understand what I'm saying. You've heard that it said that the best way to train a dog to sniff out counterfeit currency is to make them really familiar with the genuine currency. That's what I think we need when it comes to the world. The world is putting forward a counterfeit narrative about how to live the good life. The best way for our children, our graduates, even for us to sniff out this counterfeit narrative is to come to know what the genuinely good life is. And how do we find out what the genuinely good life is? It is found, at least at a minimum, in the book of Proverbs that tells us the way of wisdom. We need to know what wisdom smells like. We need to know what it looks like. We need to know what it feels like within our lives. In Proverbs is teaching us this. This is the best defense 
against the world. If we pursue wisdom, we will be protected from the world. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We will be reading all of Proverbs chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is the word of the Lord. Did you notice as we read this passage how frequent the language of protection or defense was. I want to just show you real briefly. Look in verse 7. We read that the Lord is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Verse 8, He guards the paths of justice and watches over the way of His saints. Verse 11 also speaks of watching and guarding. Then in verse 12, which really begins a new section, the ESV doesn't draw that out, but we see the word deliver, and then that word is repeated again in verse 16. Shield, guard, watch, deliver. Defense is a major theme in this passage. Specifically, defense or deliverance from the world. But what is the best defense? What is the best way to be protected? 
Here's my sermon in a sentence. The pursuit of wisdom will protect us from the world. The pursuit of wisdom, that offense, will protect us from the world. To divide our time this morning, I want to begin by spelling out what pursuing wisdom means in Proverbs 2. The whole book of Proverbs tells us something about pursuing wisdom, but what does it mean here in Proverbs 2? That's the first thing. Then, I want to show you three ways that the pursuit of wisdom protects us, defends us from the world. So let's begin. First, what does it mean to pursue wisdom? I think it means that we must diligently dig into God's Word. We must diligently dig into God's Word. Now, why do I say we must dig into God's Word? If you'll notice where we're at in Proverbs, this is the second lesson or the second lecture that the father addresses to his son. My son, it begins. You see that same thing back in chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instructions. So he's talking to his son about receiving his words. So why do I say that we must dig into God's word? It's as we said on the first week of this series, the father's words to his son are God's words, which are recorded in the book of Proverbs. So the father instructs his son, if he does so well, according to God's word, here in the Proverbs, according to God's Word in other parts of the Bible as well. So when he says his son needs to see receive his words, he's speaking of God's Word. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about the rest of our time this morning. The reason I say we need to dig into God's Word has to do with what God's Word is. Notice in verse 4, it says that the wisdom that comes from the Father's mouth, the Word which comes from the Father's mouth, is like silver. It's like hidden treasure. And what do you do when you know where the treasure is buried? You start digging. The Father says, make your ear attentive to the wisdom, to wisdom, and incline your heart to understanding, paying attention, being attentive to God's Word, especially in this world of distraction, requires hard work. It requires diligence. The verb incline your heart could read bend your heart to understanding. You see the way the verbs are working? We seek We search, we bend, we dig. All of this requires diligence. But it requires more than simply our own work. It also involves help from others. And that's why the father tells his son to call out for insight and to raise your voice for understanding. We ask for help to understand God's Word. That's part of the diligence, is going 
to look for help from other teachers, whether that be in our family or in the church, but also help from God. The diligent pursuit of understanding God's Word will require growing in our ability to study, will involve study skills, but it will also require prayer. Maybe I could put it this way. If we're going to dig into God's Word, we're going to need to get our hands dirty, but we're also going to let, need to let our knees get dirty as well. Friends, the Christian life is difficult, but it's not that complicated. We give ourselves to God's Word, we give ourselves to prayer, and we do so in the context of a church where we help one another to understand God's Word and apply it to our lives. If you want a good defense against the onslaught of the world, get to work getting to know God's Word. But how does this pursuit of wisdom protect us from the world? There are 22 verses in this chapter, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, a complete set of verses. But in the original Hebrew, it's actually just one long sentence. It's what your grammar teacher would call a conditional sentence. In verses 1 to 4, we are given the conditions of the sentence. It's all of those if statements in verses 1 to 4. The rest of the passage lists the consequences of those conditions or the results that's marked by words like then or so. There are actually five results that are listed in this passage, but I've lumped them together into three. I think you'll see for good reasons. Three ways that the pursuit of wisdom protects us from the world. So pursue wisdom is a protection from the world. How does pursuing wisdom protect us from the world? I'm going to show you three ways. First, When we diligently dig into God's Word, we will delight in doing God's Word. That will be the first result. We will delight in doing God's Word. Now, the first set of results that are listed in this long sentence are found in verses 5 to 11. There are two of them marked by the word then. I just want you to see them in your Bible. Look at verse 5. Then... So if you do all of these things, then you will understand. And in verse 9, the same thing. Then you will understand. Both results involve understanding. That's why I've lumped them together. But what exactly will the person who pursues wisdom come to understand? What will happen when you seek wisdom? You would expect verse 5 to tell us that you will find wisdom, right? But that's not what it says. Look, it says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. When you seek wisdom, this is a surprise in the text. When you seek wisdom, 
what you will find is more than wisdom. You will find God, the author of wisdom. When you dig into God's Word, you come to know God. Friends, first free, Bible students, the point of studying this book is not simply to gain mastery over what is in this book. The goal is to come to personally know God who breathed out the words that are in this book. It's always about a personal relationship with God. And that's the very thing that that first result of this long conditional sentence teaches us. When we seek after God's wisdom in God's Word, we find God. And when we cultivate a relationship with God, guess what happens? It changes us. That's what we see in verse 9. So, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. That's verse 5. Verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Coming to know the Lord teaches us how to live our lives, but much more than that. Look at verse 10. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Digging into God's Word, the first surprise is that it leads us to know God. But not only that. Next, it teaches us how to live in God's world according to God's Word. But not only that, It also changes our hearts so that we will come to delight to live according to God's Word. I believe this is the key ingredient to protection from the world found in this passage. It's not only knowing how to live, it's coming to love the God that we live for and to love the life that God has laid out for us to live in His Word. When we love God, we will love God's Word. And we will then desire to respond to it in faith and obedience. And that, that desire, that delight in God and His Word is the thing that will protect us from the world. All of the words that we're hearing from the world that are coming to us as arrows, the defense against them is not just apologetics. It's a love for God. It's a knowledge of what it means to live for God. But how do we come to love God and His Word It must come from God. I must say that to begin. He is the one who gives wisdom, as we read. He is the one who helps us to really hear His Word. To help the Word move from our ear into our heart. That's what true hearing is. God is the one who provides that. But God has designed it so that He uses means. 
And so we have to diligently dig. When it comes to our justification, you've heard me say this a number of times. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is not by works. But when it comes to our justification, we do have to get to work. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. There is a critical relationship between our diligence and delight. The goal is to delight in God's Word, to love God's Word, and to love to live in accordance with it. But if we're honest, we don't always delight in God's Word, do we? Reading the Bible, coming to church to listen to sermons, going to Sunday school, going to your community group, sometimes feels like nothing but duty. And in a world that elevates authenticity... We say, if it only feels like duty, then maybe I should stop doing it because it's not genuine. That's the worst advice anybody could ever give you. Yes, don't be fake. But one of the best things you can do when you don't desire God and His Word is to redouble your efforts and diligence. Continue to show up. Continue to read God's Word. Continue to listen to the teaching of God's Word. And over time, I believe that God will bless the diligent digging into His Word. It will transform our hearts so that we might delight in God's Word. And as we diligently dig into God's Word, it will change us over time. It will transform us. Remember what Paul says in Romans 12? What does he say is the protection against the world? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? Through the renewal of your mind. And how is our mind going to be renewed so that our lives can be transformed? It's only by digesting God's Word. So the first result of diligently digging into God's Word is that we would delight in doing God's Word. Let's look now at the second result. When we diligently dig into God's Word, when we pursue wisdom, we will discern the deception of the world's words. God's Word, offensively pursuing that, will be the defense against the deception of the world's words. Where do I get this? In verses 12 to 19, again, there are actually two results listed here to the conditional sentence, but I've lumped them together because they're both marked by the word deliver. In verse 12, again, it's I wish it was laid out a little better in the ESV, but you see it delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech. Verse 16, so you will be delivered 
from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Notice that both the evil men and the forbidden woman are trying to deceive the father's son with what? Words. But the son is delivered from their words because he has hidden God's word in his heart. The offense of digging into God's word is the defense against the world's deceptive words. That's what verses 12 to 19 are teaching us. At the end of the last section, in verse 11, we see that when wisdom comes into your heart, discretion will watch over you. It's discretion or discernment that is acquired through the diligent digging into God's Word that will end up delivering you from deceptive words. That's why I say the result of digging into God's Word is the ability to discern the deception of the world's words. In other words, when you know what the genuine currency smells like, feels like, tastes like, sounds like, you will be able to identify the counterfeit currency well. But why do I say that these are the world's words? Notice the repeated language. In verse 13, the men of perverted speech forsake the paths of uprightness. And in verse 17, the adulteress forsakes the companion of her youth, which is her husband, and she forgets the covenant of her God. These people have abandoned the path that is laid out in God's Word. They have abandoned God's ways. They're not walking in the light. Instead, they're walking in darkness. Both of them, I think, may have been people in our day that go to church. The woman is somebody who has forsaken the relationship with her husband, but in so doing has ditched her relationship with God. She has forgotten the covenant of God. But whether they are identified externally as belonging to the people of God or not, they have forsaken the way of God's Word and therefore their voices are the voices of the world. And why do I say that the world's words are deceptive? Notice in verse 12, we see that the Son will be delivered from men of perverted speech. That word is repeated in those verses. Perverted speech. What is perverted speech? Well, let me just say that it's not limited to cuss words and dirty jokes. It can simply mean warped words. Taking words and turning their meaning on their head or twisting them. And when the world perverts speech, when it warps words, it can be deceptive. The world can use good words, not just bad words, and pervert them in ways that deceive us. Let me give 
an example in our day. That is the word tolerance. It's a good word. It's a word that's been critical within the the Christian tradition for years. It's a virtue to be tolerant, at least in the old way of thinking of the word. It is good to act charitably towards people who are different than you or even hold different views than you. This is how the word used to be understood in the world. Even the French philosopher Voltaire once said, I may dislike what you are saying, but I defend to death your right to say it. A Christian could affirm that statement. But today, the the word tolerance means something very different. The word has been perverted. To be tolerant is no longer to accept the existence of a different view. To be tolerant is now to accept that view. So if two men love each other and want to be married, to be tolerant means we must affirm their decision. If a person who was born a man wants to transition to become a woman... We shouldn't say that it's wrong. And if we do, we are being intolerant. Do you see how a Christian word or a Christian virtue like tolerance has been perverted? So that now our children and even some of us are thinking, I don't want to be intolerant. The words have been perverted. And they can deceive. Another reason why I say the the world's words are deceptive is because they don't tell us the whole truth. The adulteress, we are told, uses smooth words to allure her victim. You could say the same thing about a man trying to seduce a woman. They hold out the promise of pleasure, the promise of care, or the promise of affirmation, or the promise of companionship, but they fail to mention its consequences. They fail to mention that adultery and sexual immorality will never leave a person whole. Sexual sin may fulfill a desire for a moment, but it will not leave you unscathed. As verses 18 to 19 say, For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Sure, a person who commits sexual sin can be forgiven. King David is a perfect example of that. But even David's sins still had significant consequences. I'm finishing up 1 Samuel in my Bible reading right now. My word. The fallout of that sin lasted to the end of his life. The wise and the discerning person knows this. The person who digs into God's word like they're looking for treasure. The person who has let wisdom come into their heart, they will have discretion. They will understand 
the world's words as perverted and they will reject that understanding. You know, we can both reject the world's views on sexuality while still loving the person who holds those views. That's what biblical discernment allows us to do. We can reject the false truths of the allurement to sexual sin because we know the whole truth of where that leads. And so we will, like Joseph, leave our tunic in Potiphar's wife's hands and run. We will run back to a relationship with God because we know the whole truth that it's only in Him and in His ways that true life and satisfaction are found. And that leads me to the third result of digging into God's Word. Those who dig into God's Word will dwell in God's presence forevermore. We've been talking about a good offense that is a defense against the onslaught of the world's deception. Now we're going to talk about defense from the ultimate penalty, which is death. Look at verses 20 to 22. You who walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Those who walk in the way of wisdom, we are told here, will dwell in the land. Those who walk in the way of the wicked will be cut off from the land. The way of wisdom, in other words, will lead to blessing. The way of the wicked will lead to curse. The one to life, the other to death. In the Old Testament, the land represented the place of God's blessing. God's people in God's place under God's rule and His blessing. That was true in the garden, but it also became the picture of what would be true in the promised land. The land was the inheritance for God's covenant people who were faithful to their covenant relationship with God. In the New Testament, the idea of land takes on a broader meaning. The inheritance of Christians is not a piece of ground. It is our promised eternal inheritance. It is eternal life. And those who pursue wisdom, the wisdom of God found in the person of Christ, will dwell in God's presence forevermore. But how do we come to have this blessing, this eternal life? How can we know that we're on the road to life instead of on the road to death? The way to life is spelled out in God's Word. In Proverbs, in the rest of the Old Testament, but really all of these words in the Old Testament are pointing to the Word who was made flesh, Jesus Christ. 
And in John 14, 6, what did he say? Many of you know it. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the wisdom of God, as we've seen. He is also the Word of God, the Word of truth in a world of lies. And it is only through Him, it is only through His way that we can come to know eternal life. Deceptive words lead to death. Jesus is the true Word that leads to life. And in John 10, Jesus tells us just how He gives us life. He says, the thief, those who are full of deceptive words, they come to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest, life abundantly, life eternal. He says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how we come to know eternal life. It's through the one who laid down his life unto death to pay the price for our sins. This is the truth of God's word. All of God's word is truth. We need to dig into all of God's word. But the gospel is at the heart of God's word. And this is the truth that we need to treasure above all truth. Colossians 2 teaches us that in Christ are hidden all of the treasure of wisdom and of knowledge. The gospel is a treasure hidden in a field. The wise man will dig for it. He will sell all that he has in order to obtain it. He will lose his life in order to find it. Lose his life in the world in order to find eternal life through the Word. And if we have that eternal life now, knowing God, abiding in Christ, and we can look forward to that life in the future, that's the whole truth. And that's what we need to help us endure in a world full of deceptive half-truths. Let us dig in to the Word of God diligently to find life. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that You would help us to see that Your Word is not only truth, but that it is a treasure. And it's a treasure because in it you are found. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I pray that we would desire your word because we desire to get to know you, that we would delight in your word, that it would be pleasant to our souls. We need your help. And so we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.